Hi, I'm Hakan Hayrich, and you're listening to the NL Full Time Podcast. It's NL Full Time. We're here once again. I'm Luke Edwards, and it's been another fun packed week in the National League, both on and off the pitch. And to review it with us, as always, we have got Rob Worrell. Hi, Rob. Hi, Luke. And we have also got with us the books writer himself, Dickie Wharton. Hi, Dickie. Hey, Luke. Good to speak to you as always. We've seen a lot of each other this week, Dickie. <laughs> we have, yeah. People will be talking. <laughs> And also, somewhere on a motorway in the northwest of England, we have got Chris Pratt. Hiya, Chris. Good morning, guys. <laughs> there he is. He's uh, out and about, tootling about on this Sunday morning. We've got a very special guest coming up for you later on. We'll keep it under wraps for now. But uh, what we want to do first is have a quick chat about events off the field. Um, I mean, at the minute, at it, on the field, it's exciting at the top because there's currently a three-way tie at the top of the National League table. But off it, there's been a lot going on and uh, just want to point you towards the podcast that me and Dickie did when we sat down with Mark Ives, the interim general manager of the National League this week. And it's fair to say, Dickie, he left, he left quite an impression on us, didn't he? Yeah, we thought he came across uh, really well. Um, it's It would be perhaps unfair to judge him against the previous general manager, Michael Tattersall, because we never got the, the, the chance to speak to him. But I think just the fact that the very fact that he was visible um, and and was very open to to talking to us as he has been to, to other people as well. Um, bodes well and he, he spoke really well in that about wanting to communicate better with clubs and um, as will probably come on to as he's mentioned in the podcast we did but we'll probably come on to as well he's the proposal for um the teams that want to continue in the north and south i mean the, i think the fact that he's been prepared to at least listen to what they have to say in that respect is is they, they feel like positive signs to me they they feel like uh, um as uh, 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 the leadership is is being you know responsive to the to the needs of it and 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 to the views of its member clubs which can only be a good thing yeah, that's a big thing, I think, isn't it? The fact that even if nothing does go through, he's going to listen to it. Where I think, I think that's been a big gripe of the clubs previously, hasn't it? In that that they feel like they've not been listened to, and and some might still say, "Well, he listened to it, and then he's thrown it out, so he's not really listened to us." But at least it's on the table, and he's got look. It is on the table. We'll go through it thoroughly. I mean, even if the National League approve it, as as he mentions in the podcast, without wanting to give anything away, the FA have still got to ratify it as well, haven't they? Yeah, they have. I think there's. Um, I, I think I understand from um, there was an article in the, the Guardian yesterday by Nick Ames. I think there's there's some mention of it in the non-league paper that's out today as well about the not the details of the proposal because I, I gather that's covered by a, um, some sort of a non-disclosure agreement between the parties who were discussing it. But there there are some details in there, and I gather it's it's to go to the Alliance Committee at the FA tomorrow for the, to them to discuss, um, and then it would be subject to it being ratified by the FA. Whether that will happen or not, I really couldn't say, to be perfectly honest. But it, it's that thing of at least you you get the feeling you're having your voice heard. There is nothing worse than feeling that you do not have a voice in anything. And yet, ultimately, you know, if 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 clubs get to the end of it and don't get what they want then you know they're probably still not going to be entirely happy but at least they've not been dismissed before even getting to to put their their case across do we have any idea what's in the proposal dickie at all or my understanding of it is that um 
it's not just the 18 clubs who were the signatory to the letter that wanted the express an interest in continuing. We know that's gone down by two, possibly even three clubs this week who've said that having considered it, you know, over a longer period of time, they, they don't think it's viable for them. But it would actually be open to any team from National League North and National League South that wanted to continue. I'm also led to believe that there would be some waiting and some form of PPG applied to it so that it did reflect um, the league that we'd had up to the point that it was um, it came to a halt, you know, that when you're not completely throwing that out of the window, but that um, it wouldn't necessarily be the case. I think they're trying to make it as inclusive as possible um, in order, presumably, to gain as much support for us as possible because, you know, the, it's got to go to a vote still, it's it's fascinating, chaps, because, look, these are unprecedented times and they call for unprecedented thinking outside of the box. So initially we sort of think, no, this is the league as we know it. They'll not go for anything. But then, you know, these things gather momentum and pace and a lot of thinking goes into it and a lot of lobbying goes into it. And yes, there are three parties that have all got to agree it, but it starts to look a more realistic proposition there are some issues against it. Like you say, one or two of the clubs falling by the wayside, but they tried to make it as inclusive as possible. I think the idea being that anybody that's involved still has a chance of promotion. Let's be honest about it. That's what it is. When last season finished early, um, they took into account points per game hard and fast and said, there you go. They're the final positions. Now have your playoffs. This is a bit more creative and this has a little bit more mileage in it as well. But effectively, it would still be who wants to gamble on promotion. You know, otherwise you just, you know, you pull down the, the shutters, you put everybody on furlough and, and you keep your club alive and go again next season. So the, these are my reasons why I worry that there won't be enough clubs involved to want to do it um, when push comes to shove. But let's, I, I love the groundbreaking thinking. I love the fact that, Everyone's got to be creative. And Dickie, we we talked, didn't we, off offline about how creative some of the county leagues at park level football are being. You know, they've they've largely null and voided, but they're setting up cup competitions to finish the season. And uh, those those teams that are playing will still love the fact that they can play, and they'll love the fact that they can compete for something. Yeah, I mean, clubs have been given some, um, you know, the. the- Prime Minister's roadmap, etc., has given clubs um, the idea that you know there is some light at the end of the tunnel. That there is even the possibility that if you have a competition that might result in playoffs or things like that, then there's a, you might even have some fans back in by that point. Um, interesting, you mentioned promotion. You're right that promotion is ultimately the aim behind this, but the relegation factor as well. Um, my again, my understanding is that that it, it would be. It's a mini league within itself, and I don't think it would result in any relegation from it because I'm not quite sure how you could do that if there are any clubs that haven't taken part. But in terms of the, the top division and how it would um, impact on that, I think they're speaking about two promotion places, one automatic and one via playoffs. So you'd have two teams from this proposed mini league that would go into the National League. What would that mean for the National League in terms of relegation? Well, nothing, as I understand it, because they wouldn't relegate anybody from the National League and they would increase the National League to 25 teams for next year. Um, I mean, that, that, that 
potentially causes some problems in itself. I mean, I think I suggested, you know, if if two national league south clubs were to come through this, and it's already a team that's at twenty one, and they didn't relegate anybody, the national league south would only have nineteen teams in it for next season. It's only eighteen games. That affects you know people's projections on how much you know gate receipts they'd get income wise. So yeah, there's there's I I but I'm I am. I tend to be in agreement with you, Robin, that I do admire the the positivity and the creative thinking behind it. You know, it's it's challenging times like this that forces people to be innovative. Um, whether ultimately that's for the long-term benefit of everybody, I'm less sure, to be perfectly honest. But but you, you can't knock them for, for putting the proposal forward. Touched on this with, um, with Mark Ives, do you think this could make... The North and South divisions fractured for next year, you know, relationships breaking down. Or do you think everybody will go, because it's being listened to the proposal, everybody will kind of go, well, yeah, it's a good proposal. We don't want to be part of it, but we admire what you're thinking of it. I, I guess it's still got that potential to. Um, and, you know, we, we did speak about this with with Mark Ives on Wednesday about the... Um, and it and it is our perception, but you know we do speak to people at different football clubs, and you know we, we don't necessarily gauge things off the the barometer that is social media because it does tend to be people who shout the loudest on there. Um, but there is a perception, I think, that there was a certain amount of rancor between clubs, and, and drawing everybody back together is going to be another big part of of what you know the the, the general manager, whether that does turn out to be Mark Ives, that's going to be a big part of their role. Will this? hinder that will that will this help in that i'm not sure i could say at the moment just coming back to the potential structure of it and you're talking about the likelihood of 25 teams in the national league is there a kind of a uh, a questionable scenario where that could end up becoming 24 again because you also have a, a one-off situation to deal with as well at some point uh, and that's dover um, I know other clubs like Kingsland and Wheels that have expressed a desire to stop the season, but they have uh, kept playing in the meantime until the situation's a little bit clearer, I think. And the one club that has independently made its own decision, we talked a lot about them last week, was Dover. I think um, it doesn't really matter anymore whether the, the fact that they were, that, you know, they were on track to be relegated. They had only played, I think, um, 10 games, 12, 12 games, sorry. Um, I don't think that, that, that that's kind of like a moot point now. I think it's more about what's the right decision to make. Um, and I think as well as the process being applied that Mark Ives always talks about and it being assessed on its individual merit, I think the, the, the feelings of the club itself need to be taken into account because I, I don't want to misquote him, but I'm pretty sure Jim Parmenter in one of his interviews has said the most important thing to him is to have a Dover Athletic next season and not necessarily which division they're in. So yeah. there could be a natural realigning if it happens ending up with 24 clubs. I was going to say, Cole, you could potentially, if Dover are happy to go down, you could um, have sort of two winners from each division then, couldn't you? And then that way you kind of almost make it, you may be only having one extra team rather than two, aren't you? And uh, I don't think that's being proposed, Luke. No, uh, I know. Oh, no, yeah, but I'm just, yeah, it's, yeah. like you say, if Dover say, well, we're happy, if, if no relegation's on the table, what Dover say, we're happy to go down, that changes it again then. It could do, but I don't think they're going to speak up front about that, probably. I don't, I just don't think that's a, I think it's hypothetical. It's, you're absolutely right. I just think it's hypothetical. Dickie, sorry. 
No, no, it's fine. I was going to say, and you're right, Rob, there is an element in all of this about coming back to the fact that, you know, we have been through a, a 12 months, which the likes of which none of us have experienced before in any aspect of our lives, let alone how it impacts on football. And I know that people are keen to stick to the rules. And I know, um, you know, that, that uh, that's a good thing in, in some ways. But like you say, if, if, if out of this, we still have the same number of clubs in the National League starting the next season that we have, whenever that should be, that we ended with, I think that's got to be counted as a success, really. Um, and, and if that if that should mean, you know, Dover either offering to or being, you know, there's there's an offer of, you know, maybe a voluntary relegation there that at least gives them the ability to still have their club, then who knows, they might take that. And But, but yeah, I think it's, a, it's about everybody still being here um, when we start again, for, for real. Yeah, and if you haven't heard the interview that myself and Dickie did with Mark Ives, and subscribe to us on all good podcasting platforms and you'll see it there. Uh, it's about half an hour long, so not too long, but it's a really, really interesting chat. So, is it also, Luke, a unique title, the podcast, Mark Ives' interview? Is it not the only title that we've ever had for a podcast that doesn't involve some sort of pun? Yeah, well, I didn't think it was... Um... I didn't think it was right to put it down as a pun, really. Uh, we've got to show Mark that we're serious people and we're not just clowns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Plus, we struggle to come up with anything for yeah. Ives, to be perfectly he honest. Might, he might have it. liked Ives on the mark or Ives on the spot or something. He might, he might have quite enjoyed that. You never know. He might be listening to this and he might let us know. <laughs> yeah, hello, Mark, if you are listening. Uh, if, if you do think of a title, Mark, uh, send it over to us and we'll, we'll edit the title. <laughs> As I mentioned on the field, really, really exciting three-way tie at the top of the National League table. And we have to start with the game of the day, Torquay against Hartlepool. And Hartlepool are on an incredible one, Nate, incredible run. They took all three points. Luke Molyneux scored in the 14th minute. And again, Torquay huffed and puffed and Hartlepool went joint top on goal difference. And I've heard a lot this week, Rob, about England's cricketers having scrambled minds at the moment over in India. Could we say a similar thing is happening to Torquay, maybe? It's really interesting, isn't it? I watched the Gary Johnson interview afterwards with interest and... uh... I think what he brought up was complacency. You can't be complacent in this situation when you're at the top of the league, whatever. I think it's gone beyond that, if I'm honest. Um, the run goes back a little way now. Um, and I think it just proves we always reel out the old chestnut that anybody can beat anybody at this league. But Torquay are consistently not winning football matches now, having blown people away earlier in the season. And, uh, and, and one factor we probably don't allow enough for is just confidence. It's, it doesn't matter who you are. You could be Thierry Henry, you could be, um, you know, Mo Salah, whoever you are. If you go several games without scoring or winning, it starts to affect your confidence. And that can be individual, it can be collective. Uh, they're obviously still a good side, Torquay. I did see both sides of them at the EBB earlier in the season. I, I kid you not, for 40 one forty-two minutes, Aldershot absolutely swept them off the park and it was criminal that they were only 1-0 up. And yet, Torquay turned up right at the end of the first half and in the second and blew Aldershot away about 4-1 in the end. But it can happen. Um, and uh, I think probably what we need to do um, is focus on Hartlepool because their run really is starting to take shape now. And as you say, they've gone level on points with, with, with Torquay and uh, another team... 
just uh, down the road from from, from, from our, our podcast colleague Tom um, are going rather nicely as well. Although it was a horror watch, yeah. wasn't it yesterday? Sutton and Wrexham, it was dire, and I felt really bad for for, for those involved with covering it. It, it just it, it just didn't work, did it? Just before we get on to that, I'll heartily pull the, the keeping clean sheets as well. That's a big thing. And I'm going to be seeing them at Altingham on Tuesday evening, so I'll try and get some some sort of reaction from the Hartlepool camp. But, uh, mm. yeah, the Sutton-Wrexham game, it wasn't the best, was it, to be honest with you? Uh, I think Wrexham had a couple of, of half chances, didn't they? Um, the only thing of note was seeing Jamie Reckard's nose, which was already strapped up, and then it got another knock, which which drew some blood and, and saw the cotton wool stuffed up it. And uh, Dickie, what was he? A broken record. <laughs> he was a broken record, but he kept on going, didn't he? You thought he just... Yeah, it, it was fair play to him. I did. I, I feel really bad, uh, Jamie, for any reason you're listening. Um, I did free frame and I took a shot and put it in our WhatsApp group because it was it was quite hilarious. He had his one of those breathe easy, I think, nose bands on anyway, and then he had two bits of cotton wool or whatever stuffed up his nose. So definitely a unique look there for Jamie Record, but uh, he made it through to the end of the game and. And sadly, um, you know, all joking apart, that that probably was the most interesting thing about that game. And when when you look at it, what do you reckon, chaps? Not the worst point for either. Of course, they both would have loved to have won it. Um, I think looking at the post-matches afterwards, although Matt Gray played it down, he said, yeah, it's progress, it's another point. I think he'll have been slightly more disappointed than Dean Keats, who, who, to be honest, underneath it seemed quite chuffed that they'd gone away to the... uh, current title favourites and uh, and got themselves a clean sheet and a point. Yeah, it's funny he was asked before the game, Matt Gray, by Becky Eyes, if there was any pressure going, potentially going top that evening. And like you say, Matt Gray played that down as well. But it was a really tense game, wasn't it? Neither side wanting to lose Rex and were, were happy with the points. Sutton wanted to win, but didn't have enough, did they? And you wonder if the two games for Sutton where they've, they've won those games really, really late on, caught up with them maybe with that performance on Saturday. Can do. I mean, this can happen to any team at any time at the minute. Most of them are playing Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. But in terms of Rex, a really good point for them. They're definitely in the playoff conversation now, aren't, aren't they? And we were saying about it's not been a great season for Wrexham and Dean Keats is under pressure. All of a sudden, they're, they're really, they're the level on points with Stockport, who we'll get onto in a minute. I guess they've flown under the radar a little bit, um, if we're honest. You know, the, 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 the biggest thing that, that's drawn attention to Wrexham this season has been the off-the-field activities, you know, the, the, the acquisition by um, the R.R. McReynolds Corporation, I think they are now, or company. Um, but, you know, you've, you do have to give credit to Wrexham as a team in that, that they've they've kept plugging away at it. You know, we've, we've said they've got a tendency to throw in a, a, a poor result every now and again when you think they're getting onto a good run. Um, but they're there or thereabouts and, and they're positioned to take advantage if, if clubs ahead of them start to stutter. And, you know, we look at Sutton yesterday. I mean, Sutton had a tremendous result in midweek. I mean, coming from behind to win in virtually the last minute. I mean, that that's the kind of result that really does build belief in a team. You know, you, you that, that feeling that, you're onto something that, and that, and that you just don't give up in games, but it also brings, I guess, some pressure of expectation as well, because all of a sudden now people are talking about Sutton in the title conversation as proper serious contenders. And that brings its own pressure with it. You know, that Wrexham, um, I've gone and taken a point from them yesterday. And that's the kind of thing they're going to have to get used to because, you know, now all of a sudden that they're, they're not, um, you know, 
just oh punching above their weight they're serious contenders and and people are going to go there and adjust their game to nullify them and and they're going to have to find a way through that and, yeah, and, and matt gray will keep he'll be one of matt gray's one of these rob he'll keep playing it down until literally they've got a trophy in their hands probably won't he yeah, absolutely. It'll be. He, he's not stupid. He knows they're on a good run. He knows their position now to go top. He'd probably be very, very happy for the league table to look like it does right now until right near the end of the season, and they still got two games in hand on Torquay and just need a point to to get ahead of them. Because the, the minute, as Gary Johnson again alluded to in his post match yesterday, the minute you're top of the league, you become a massive target. You, you've literally got a target pinned on your chest. As simple as that, really. Um, just coming back to Wrexham, I personally have said a few times about Dean Keats that I'm not sure that he'll be the answer long term. I do want to acknowledge the expectation of that club always and particularly since the ownership changed. And I have to give him a bit of credit. You have to because... uh, Let's be honest, let's let's not think about the size of the club, Wrexham, or the history or anything else. Let's just look at them as the longest, the team the most longest in this division now. And amongst all those, whatever it is now, I don't know, 16, 17 years, uh, apologies, Wrexham fans, if I got that figure wrong, but it's in and around that area. Um, how many times have they made the playoffs in that time? Is it two or three? I mean, you have to say from the start they had and the fact that the owners, owners haven't come in and spent loads and loads of money yet already, uh, if Wrexham are to make the playoffs this season, that is a successful season. And whenever you see Dean Keats interviewed about it, he's just kind of, he, he brushes it off like they're just normal owners. Like, yeah, I've had a couple of chats with him and we just get on with it. And maybe that, that kind of calmness and he's almost blocked the noise out, hasn't he, from his players? And maybe that's where the success is coming in. It could well be, yeah. It could, it, it could well be. I mean, I, I think he, if I'm honest, he doesn't always look the most comfortable with the media. He, 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 he um, but he, what he is used to it. He's, you know, he, let's let's be honest. Dean Keats has been in football for a long time as a player and a manager, and uh, and and he's used to pressure and expectation by now. I think anybody who has the Wrexham job has to cope with that well. And like I say, I don't think probably I've given him much credit. Um, over the times we've talked about Wrexham and Keats. And I, and I still think, tactically, I don't think he's one of the top managers in the National League, um, but he's keeping that squad together. He's uh, got them on a decent run and they're sat comfortably uh, in, in, a, in a playoff place right now. And one, one thing he is comfortable in is, is that gilet he wears. So uh, we'd miss that if, uh, he, did, if he went... Um, but it's not as big as Jimmy Hassel, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank's coat. I know that's nothing to do with the NL podcast. Did anybody see that yesterday? That is the longest coat I've ever seen. Uh, it was massive. I was just having a quick look at Wrexham's form there, actually, just before we close on them. One, only one defeat in their last 10, which was the, 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 the loss at Aldershot 3-0. Um, only, I think there's only four wins in there, so there's probably more draws in there than, than, than Dean Keats would, would, would like. But if you think if they'd converted just another two or three of those draws into victories, that would be an additional four or six points, and they would literally be a point behind the leaders. And, you know, so, yeah, we aren't wrong to be talking about Wrexham as, as being, you know, dark horses. 
team who were favourites at the start of the season, and they are, as I say, this is this is really difficult now because they're in fourth, so they're not doing too badly. But there is a lot of of murmuring around on social media. They Stockport County, they, they lost one nil to Weymouth. Weymouth, remember, did the double over Stockport County. They, they, they won the edge of part very early on in the season. But Stockport are now seven points behind the leaders, and, and Weymouth won due to that man on loan from Cambridge United again, Andrew Dallas. Um, we say about the grumbling, Rob, but they were so unlucky. I mean, there was two amazing clearances off the line. All right, the first one you go, well, yeah, it's a good one. The second one, casually backheeled it away in injury time off the line. Like, you know, oh, well, it's just playing with my mates in the park. And if you're Simon Rush, you must be tearing your hair out with a minute. Yeah, definitely. It's one of the, it was a bit of a freak result, but fair play to uh, Weymouth, who, uh, who've done the double over Stockport in their first season. Uh, up in the National, or back up in the National League. Fair play to him for that. I think Andrew Dow has been a really good sign, loan signing for them. He scored a couple of goals against Aldershot as well. Looks a really efficient striker who just looks to be very comfortable and uh, and, and prolific at this level, just dropping down a level from, from Cambridge United. Um, Stockport County, yeah, that is the weird thing. It feels like they... They, you know, w- with the exception of a couple of games, it feels like they're Stockport County nil and have been for pretty much the time that Rusk's been there. And yet, they sit in fourth place, just seven points behind the leaders, similar amount of games played. I think what it really highlights for Stockport is what a massive opportunity they've missed over the last month or so, where really they should be sat up there now in terms of points or games in hand. You know, they should be sat up there in in what we should be looking at as a four-way title race. But realistically, you have to say that that poor run of form from County means that all logic suggests that one of Torquay, Sutton or Hartlepool are going to win the league at this point. But they're not out of it because let's remind ourselves what we got left for most clubs, 18, 19, 20 games still, long way to go. Yeah, look, it's it's been nine nine games now that, that Simon Rusk has been in charge of County, and um, I've got to say, I think it's time for everyone to move on now. To move on with the fact that Rusk has taken over from Gannon, um, that uh, you know results perhaps hasn't gone exactly how he would have wanted. But what I will say is that that was only, I think, I'm right in saying the second goal conceded in five games. So look, they've got one side of the pitch right. They've just haven't got the other side of the pitch right. And it's not as if Simon Rusk is playing 5-4-1 or anything like that to get these these clean sheets or these um, odd goals scored against them. He's playing a reasonably um, attacking lineup. Yes, there's a lot more passing going on than, than what used to be. And yes, some of it could be more um, forceful and more purposeful, I think. But as you said yesterday, there was a lot of... Uh, bad luck, if you like, up front and, um, and things didn't really uh, really go their way. And I've got to say, I don't think they're far off. I don't think no. they're far off at all. And um, I, I think they'll soon, uh, it won't be long before they start going on uh, a little bit of a run. And that number was a good point you made there, Chris. Nine ga- It's only nine games. I know you can get a new manager bounce, but Josh Galvin, who was really impressive on the BT Sport coverage yesterday, was saying sometimes it takes longer for other managers to get the points across. And it's like I was saying to a couple of people at Stockport last week, you've almost gone from one extreme to the other, haven't you? Gannon was very intense, where Simon Rusk is quite calm, isn't he? Yeah, totally different uh, style of, of managing. Um, you see... <laughs> Sitting above Gannon for about the last five or six years, he was definitely very forceful, whereas you almost don't hear a peep from um, Simon Russ. Sometimes you hear Mark McGee coming out and um, 
shouting an instruction out or Dave Conlon. Um, but no, Simon Rusk is, is very quiet, yeah, on the touchline. And I think he's one of those managers that, that gets his plan over at the start of the game or at half-time and then it's up to the players to uh, to execute that. So, yeah, it's a different style of management for, for people to get used to as well. Chris, you made a really good point about the clean sheets and building from the back. That's the way to build a football team, isn't it? So, uh, yeah, credit to Rusk on that one. Um, looking at the... Uh, Changes made to the team yesterday in the use of the substitutes. He probably went for it as well, didn't he? 76 minutes. So he took Ash Palmer off and put Richie Bennett on as well. He'd already put Cardwell on at half-time. Uh, desperate for a bit of inspiration from uh, from his new striking sign in there. But I'm sure it'll come. And, 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 and probably when it comes, they'll probably score three or four. And they'll still only get three points for it. So, uh, yeah, let's give him a little bit longer. New teething problems for Rusk there, possibly. Yeah. Well, the uh, Stockport go to Solihull Moors on Tuesday. And, and, and there's quite a full fixture list on Tuesday. We'll run through those later on. Chesterfield going really well. Rob, they're up to ninth. They're finding different ways to win. They scored very late against Eastley last Tuesday. It was a goalless first half, but the Spyrites broke the deadlock just three minutes into the second half when Aquasi Asante scored. And then further goals from Tom Whelan against his former club and Jack McCourt saw them move up that table both James Rowe and Asante have signed new contracts this week as well until 2024 to warn off any suitors from above potentially yeah I mean in our WhatsApp group I did sort of think that's okay that is quite early and quite unusual to give new contracts and and just knowing the way things work in football I just wondered I'm not I'm not trying to sort of dramatize this particularly but I just wonder if there was some interest already uh in Rowe um and, uh, you know, Rose said, look, I'll, I'll keep focused on on this job. It's, it is a big club, to be fair, and there's a big project ahead. Uh, and, and it's one he's made a great start in. And you would think, with all due respect to Gloucester, you would think that he probably want to at least see this one through, um, you know, to a playoff campaign or a promotion up to the Football League, as, as ambitious as we all know James Rowe is. Um, quick word uh, indirectly through uh, Tom Lang, who's uh, just taking a little break from the podcast at the minute due to work commitments. But um, he, he kept a close eye on that game yesterday and uh, um, he was very, very impressed by uh, George Carline um, for Chesterfield, who settled in really nicely uh, from Gloucester and Asante. Well, he doesn't necessarily, you know, impress for 90 minutes, but when you score a goal and you make one, then you're worth your weight in gold. Can I just say on that that um, obviously I saw Chesterfield last week and um, those two players in particular were terrible. <laughs> so I think um, I think it just echoes what James Rowe said after the game um, last week, and he, he was just talking about it being an off day and there were a lot of players off colour, and um, you know they've got to be better. And a lot of their uh, media guys were saying the same thing, and I think it just shows that maybe last week. Uh, Edgley Park was just a blip and uh, whatever's happened during the week, extra training sessions, um, extra sit-ups, extra pull-ups in the gym must have worked. Dickie, are you, just quickly, are you um, surprised at how like the likes of Asante and Carline and Gavin Gunning have, have, have adapted at Chesterfield? No, not really. I mean, I, I think, you know, they, they were probably acquisitions um, who you'd expect to have been playing at, at a higher level than National League North anyway. Um, um, but they'd obviously been attracted by the project that that, that was, you know, tabled at, at, at Gloucester. Um, they they followed James Rowe and no, it isn't a surprise. I mean, Asante's the man who gets all the attention and the, 
you know, you're right. It, it, it doesn't, my impression of him, he doesn't always look as if he's doing very much, but it's, you get the ball to his feet in the right areas, it's goals. And, you know, that pays the rent, doesn't it? That's as the old saying goes, and, and he delivers. Making small changes to your lifestyle could improve your chances of staying healthier longer. Start now by taking our free How Are You quiz. Just search One You. So, two managers who maybe some people would say have underperformed, Rob, uh, are Darren McMahon and Jimmy Shan. And Dagan again, they fell 2-0 down to Boreham Wood with an hour gone and you think, you know, is this, is this going to be the moment where Dagenham are like really under pressure? And again, they dug themselves out of a hole and it was former Bournemouth man, Angelo Balanta, who rescued a point for Daryl McMahon. And, and like I said, they've been staring down the barrel and it's one of those, you wonder what the owners at Dagenham are thinking, you know, that obviously they'll be pleased with the character, character and the spirit that they're showing, but they won't be where they want to be in that table, will they? Absolutely not, 100% not. And they proved to be not that patient last season. Ultimately, they acted when they need to. Um, You don't always know about all the sort of internal or external factors that are affecting everything. But from on the face of it, Dagenham have assembled a a squad to have a real tilt at it this year and they're battling away at the wrong end. You're right, they do show character. Um, I I think I've I've bought them luck a couple of occasions because a couple of Saturdays now in the last three... I've messaged in the WhatsApp group as Dagenham were 2-0 down. McMahon's going to be under real pressure here. And both times they've come back, they won 3-2 the first time. And it's a cracking finish from uh, Balanta for the second goal yesterday. So yeah. it, it, he? He, he absolutely smoked it. One of the best goals in, in the National League, just running onto a, a little set just on the edge of the area and he smashed it home. It was a good finish. It would have been a big relief to McMahon and to Dagenham. Um, but yeah, yeah, they're underachieving, uh, and, and you know we we don't know what his remit was this season. He might have been said, "Look, you can have these funds, you can have a real tilt to get get our backing for the players, but you need to be in the playoffs." And it's starting to look a, a distant uh, prospect now for Dagenham. And the one that baffles me is Solihull Moors because yeah. I watched them play brilliantly against Aldershot at the EVB a few weeks ago. Um, and they literally outplayed, outfought, outthought Aldershot that day. Um, as Danny Searle admitted after the game as well, they were brilliant. Um, but they can't find any consistency. And uh, that's another side. Yes, they've tried to change the way they play football. Um, and it's a far more attractive watch now. But uh, they're not picking up the points that they should do. And uh, Nathan Blissett came back to haunt his old club yesterday, give, uh, give them uh, Maidenhead a lead on the half an hour. And he did score uh, a second goal as well, which was which was ruled out. Jamie Ward ultimately got a, mm. an equaliser for Solihull and, and the points were shared. But uh, what do you reckon, Dickie? You're a little bit closer to that part of the world and uh, how patient do you think the Solihull Moors owners will be with Jimmy Shan? It's not been shantastic, has it, Dickie? It hasn't, no. I mean, we. Uh, <laughs> I did see uh, a couple of tweets and again, we know we... You know, there were a couple of things uh, I saw on there yesterday from people suggesting that maybe Jimmy Shan would be under a little bit of pressure now. Um, and it certainly wasn't looking good when they were a goal down and J- Jamie Ward you know, rescued a point for them. But, you know, you look at where they are in the table. I think they're 16th. Um, they've played 23 games, so they're halfway through their fixtures. They've maybe got a couple of games in hand on those teams directly above them. Um, if they got positive results in those, they could be you know, just on the fringes of the playoff picture. But I would suggest 
that that's you know probably not good enough. If you think about where um, Tim Flowers took them to, um, they were just sitting outside the playoffs when Tim Flowers uh, uh, lost his job last year at Solihull, which suggests. Um, I don't know. That might not have been totally about the league position. It might have been something about the, the the style a little bit as well. I wouldn't say a lack of patience. I think it just suggests that you know that the, the board at Solihull have ambition, and I, I can't see them being satisfied with sixteenth. Just to point on that style, it was a style that worked for them. It was a style that made them almost unbeatable at times, almost unplayable, knocking up to those uh, the big men up front and feeding off the scraps. I mean, I saw them a couple of times. I thought. How do you even beat this side? So, um, yeah, it's interesting how it's gone for them uh, this season. It is interesting, isn't it? Because I know people go, oh, just long ball merchants. But if you play it right, it can be really successful. You know, if you, you have stronger set pieces, you've got people who can hold it up running onto those second balls. And sometimes nice football doesn't always get you success, does it? It looks nice, but does it get you success more than, say, if you sometimes do just lump it into the box and, and bully teams? Yeah, and I think he... He got that formula very right, did, did Tim Flowers. And, um, I mean, he didn't have one or two. He had three big men that um, were working up top at, at the same time sometimes. And, um, yeah, it's, um, this different style uh, isn't really paying dividends at the minute. No, I think, and you know, probably what we said about <clears throat> Solly Hull and, you know, Evan knows they're not the first team to have um, adopted that style. Um, but, yeah. It worked, and I wonder if sometimes that <clears throat> if if the objection you hear from other fans or people complaining about long ball, people complaining about Route One, is more based on simply on the fact that they, their own team haven't just found a way to combat it. You know that it it it's true that it can just be very very hard to play against. A really good win again for Woking there in the trophy semi-finals. There, I know Josh Gowling said he's keeping a keen eye on him because he drawn Hereford in the semi-finals, but. Uh, Woking, I've had a, it's been a mixed week. They, they won last week in the trophies. They said they lost at Aldershaw midweek, but then bounced back with the win over, over Kings Lynn. And of course, Halifax, they uh, had a good come from behind win as well. Yeah, basically, this is two sides who've been overachieving. They've been right up at the higher end, but they've just gradually slipped down. Woking, a little bit looking over their shoulders, really. Uh, a fantastic win for them and a great come from behind win for, for Halifax, too. Uh, Sam Ashford with a goal on debut. Uh, on loan from uh, Crawley in in League Two for Woking uh, and Halifax. Well, both those sides, are, you know, they continue to to kind of punch above their weight. Final game we're going to look at was uh, Eastley one, Bromley two, and Eastley remain in the last playoff place. But it's back to back defeats now after Bromley came from behind to be within a, a point of the Spitfires. Ben Strevens wasn't happy after the game; said he wasn't sure how they lost that. But let's hear what Bromley manager Neil Smith thinks of it all because he is our special guest and he joins us now. Hi, Neil. Good morning. Good morning. And uh, yeah, what a what a great result that was coming from behind. It, it was, you know, we we had um, a couple of chances in the first half. Cheeky, especially one on one with a keeper that you'd have put your house on him to score the, the form he's in at the moment. And uh, Jack Holland having a free header from a set play um, again. The keeper pulled off a great save, but you know it was it, it, very very similar to the one he actually scored in the in the second half. So. Yeah, I thought, I thought we were creating chances and, and kept keeping them to a minimum. And then the second half, you know, I think probably one of their first chances, scored a goal. You think, here we go again on a dusty pitch. Uh, but lo and behold, the boys dug deep, got the result that they, I think they deserved. 
Yeah, and although he didn't score yesterday, I mean, he's been such a big asset for you this season. Michael Cheek, he's been he's been brilliant, hasn't he? He's been amazing. You know, what he can do, you know, and as I say, he scores goals. And, you know, as I said earlier, the one he probably should have scored, he, he, he didn't on the Saturday, but he'll, he'll create chances um, in every game. You know, he's such a force at the moment. And, and with Duffus alongside him at the moment, trying to get that partnership going, you know, um, you know, we're thinking there's good things that could happen. You help me out there, Neil, by saying Duffus, because I always wonder when I'm commentating, is it Duffus or Doofus? You don't care as long as he puts a ball in the net, do you? <laughs> no, no, 100%. I think everyone's calling him Courtney, so... Played <laughs> <laughs> away from all of that. But no, he's, he's been, you know, first class since he's come in. His attitude, his work ethic, and just getting to know the boys as well. You know, I'm hoping that partnership can really flourish and grow. Neil, I must ask you um, uh, about this level of football, because you've been at it for a while now and, and and I think back yesterday I was thinking back to that brilliant quite brilliant documentary that BT Sport did last year uh, or was it two years ago now I don't know yeah. um, The Gaffer um, and obviously Simon Weaver was on that and, and Ben Strevens was on that and you were on that and it was it was a fascinating insight um, it takes an awful lot of coming together and I dare say sometimes a little stroke of luck here and there doesn't it to uh to win football matches consistently at this level. It's, it's the utopia you're searching for, um, but it, it, it's very hard to do it and sustain it, isn't it? it? It certainly is. You know, you have to have that little bit of luck, you know, with injuries, suspensions, um, you know, even decisions that can go against you. But, you know, it is so relentless. You know, there's, there's so many strong teams in that division, league sides that are desperate to get back into the league. You know, the, the teams that are coming up are, are a lot stronger. There's more full-time football um, than there ever was. And, you know, it is really, really tough. You know, every every game is a winnable game for every, either team. Um, there's no standout teams in this division. Everyone's as strong as each other. And it, it, and you do, you need that little bit of luck. And as I say, if you, if you can have it and you can just maintain it, then uh, you always have a very good chance of getting in the playoffs and obviously the ultimate getting promotion. I mean, Neil, it's relentless at the best of times internationally, but this so even more so, hasn't it? And uh, you've been playing sort of Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. I noticed you've got no game mid uh, midweek this week. You must be quite glad for that. A rest at a good time. Yeah, you know, and, and it's all, it also gives you a little bit of, you know, stock. You can take a step back from it because it is so full on. You know, you play the game on the Saturday and on the Sunday, you're preparing for training on the Monday, which you've got a game on the Tuesday. You finish the game on the on the Tuesday and you prepare. You, there's no sort of step back and, just absorb what's going on, what players you've got and stuff like that. So it's, it'll be a nice week in respect of the boys will get a bit of a rest because then straight afterwards, I think we're, f- we're straight through to the end of the season back on the Saturday, Tuesday um, train. And um, it is difficult. It is tough. There's no downtime. You are full on it all the time. But, um, you know, we're the lucky ones. We're, we're able to play. And, um, you know, however tough it is, we'd rather be doing that. Neil, you're well placed. We're just over the halfway point of the season. You're well placed. You've you've got a, I mean, yeah. You look at your your record: nine wins, eight draws, eight eight losses. That 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 tells you there two things: one, it's so hard to win consistently, and two, that as long as you can keep ticking the points total over, you know, you can stay there or thereabouts. Looking upwards at Torquay situation, I just wonder. How you identified that a little bit from, from from last year, and what also particularly you learned from last year, because you did set out the traps at a relentless pace. You were flying, and around about this point, maybe touch earlier, I think you were you were right up there, weren't you? 
Yeah, no, that's right. And we, um, it was a jovial game. We lost our goalkeeper and our centre half. We lost George Porter. We lost uh, Alfie Doughty. Went back to Cholton. So we lost three or four players. And losing your keeper and, your, and, your, and one of your main centre halves was hard to replace. You know, you've only got to look at Liverpool at the moment. You know, Van Dijk comes out the pitch and they can't win a game, even at Anfield. So there are the difficulties of then trying to bring in players um, to try and gel into the squad itself and, and trying to get that form back up and going. And we lost a little bit of momentum. We sort of gained it back just after Christmas. And even when the, the you know, the you know lockdowns first begun this time last year, we thought we'd just got our players back, you know, our keeper was back. And, and unfortunately, the game was, you know, all stopped. So, Torquay, I, I know, you know, you do. You get you get a, a fantastic start. Everybody thinks you've already won it. Everybody's now guns for you because you're the top of the tree and, and everyone's going to play against you as if it's their cup final. Um, and if you have a couple of injuries, which I think Torquay have had, it's then hard to find that that player to replace instantly because it just, it just doesn't happen overnight. Yeah, you're absolutely right there. Danny Wright was flying, wasn't he? Banging in the goals yeah. and, and then picked up that, that, that injury. What about Strebs and, and Eastley? I mean, it looks to me from the record that they've proved to be a little bit of a bogey side for you. Don't have a great record against them. And that was your first win at the Silver Lake since 2011, Neil. Must have I felt know. <laughs> we, we have a couple of bogey sides in this division and, and, and they're one of them. You know, even at our place early on in the season, we thought we, you know, we went 1-0 up and then they scored two late goals and, gifted goals and you're just thinking when they scored again yesterday here we go again you know sometimes you just have that bogey side that whatever you do and however you play you just you, you can't get the win but um, yeah hopefully we put that to bed now you know Strebs is doing a fantastic job down there at Eastley and, I, and I, he's, a, he's a good good friend and um, you know we enjoyed the win and um, you know he took it he took it like a man afterwards but um, you know he's doing fantastic at, down at Eastley and uh He's, he's, he's someone that we're competing with in, in for that, that that bottom seventh spot. Yeah, we're saying about we don't we, they don't seem to get enough love easily. They seem to kind of always go under the radar. But you look at what he's doing there, and to have him in the playoff spot is pretty amazing, isn't it? Yeah, he's doing he's doing brilliant. And as I say, be a young guy as well in there. And I know how difficult it is to be a manager at this sort of time. There's no guidebook. There's no reference on what to do when there's a pandemic and, you know, and, and games are getting cancelled last minute or, you know, you, you've got to isolate your team for two weeks and you, you can't play. And, and So there's, there's no there's no right or wrong way of doing it. So you're having to really graft and do, and do the best you can. So I know what he's going through and I, and I do and I think he's doing a fantastic job there with some of the clubs that are in this division that are so much bigger. It's funny that you say that, Neil. Have you had to adapt your coaching methods as well and style in terms of because if, if you have had an outbreak of COVID and you've had to isolate and train people over Zoom, basically, it, it's completely new and different. Yeah, no, you haven't. Yeah, you are. You haven't, you know, be fleet of foot and, and work, you know, what, what you can, when you can, you know. And, and at Christmas, we'd had a great result against Solihull on telly just before. And we, we'd had a little bit of form and then all of a sudden we don't play, f- you know, for f- three or four weeks, I think it was. Um, and then you've got to start again and you've got to, you've got to keep getting that momentum going and, and, and building that bit of confidence in the player. But um, it is difficult. It's, it's very, very testing. Um, as I say, you don't get any respite because you come home and the family's all there. They're doing their working and the kids are doing their homeschooling. So it's a very uh, stressful sort of time at the moment. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll work through it and hopefully, you know, there is that light at the end of the tunnel when we can get back to a bit of normality. Neil, you, you, you touched down, you, you said about, you know, there's 
some degree of gratitude that you're actually still able to to, to play football and that as much as it's got its pressures and its stresses that you're still able to, to do mm. that thing I mean how but you know how challenging has, has that all all been this season that that keeping that that positivity because it's you've got to be self-motivated haven't you and there's no crowds in there when you haven't got that inspiration um it's got to come from within yourself hasn't it 100%, you know, there's players that absolutely thrive on the on the supporters and, you know, when they get the ball, the supporters get excited and, you know, it can bring out the best in you. There's obviously some that sort of go to a big crowd like the Notts County away, that all of a sudden that used to be their 12th man. That might not be the case now when you go to Notts County and, um, you know, they might miss it as, at that stage, whereas you're, you're all for it. But it, it, you've got the mental side of the, the sports person at the moment. As, as I say, you know, they've got family life, there's other things that are going on outside of football when they're at home you know you don't know what their the, the relationships with you know at home are going through that you know the, the, the wife might be working as well the children not being able to go to school so there's a lot of the mental side you've got to take into consideration as well with the players but you know you hope they can come in and just appreciate that how lucky they are when they are you know going out and training and, and, and playing a game because as I say there's, there's, a, there's a tough world out there at the moment and uh you know, when we're playing, we are lucky, but you, you've got to think about the mental side of when they go home and how they are and, and just keeping that into context as well. And do you think that's kind of helping, you know, level the playing field out somewhat in, in regards to the National League in that, you know, we, we spoke about that, you know, you go to Notts County away and then, you know, you, you're inspired by your surroundings and, and playing in front of a big crowd. Is, is that perhaps why we're not seeing, um, you know, one team absolutely running away with it that that that, that you know that things have leveled out a bit I, I really do I really do you know playing at Bromley empty you know we get we get 2,000 if you're playing at Notts County and there's you know normally I don't know six or seven thousand Stockport County six or seven thousand all of a sudden you, you go there and they might get a decision because of the crowd getting on the referee and, and it might just influence a little bit. At the moment, they haven't got that. And I think even if you look at the table at the moment, all the way down to Maidenhead, you know, this team's on 32 points, uh, only a couple of couple of wins away from being in the playoffs. And I think that's that's condensed the league so, so much at the moment because there is no runaway leader. And Neil, you don't have to have an opinion on this, but I'm, I'm sure at some point your club will be asked. There's obviously... The North and South teams have, uh, have ceased playing at the moment. There are a number of teams within those divisions who want to carry on. And a proposal is sort of gathering momentum and about to go uh, before the likes of the National League and the FA and the Alliance Committee. Uh, what's your feeling on that? Imagine, you know, you've been in the National League South. How, would, how do you think you would be feeling if you've been told that's it, you can't play and other teams are carrying on? I think if if, I, if I'm in the south and you know you are a, a, a Dorking, you know an Eastbourne Borough, someone like that who thinks they can generally get up and you know and, and the, the, the Dorking guy has done fantastic stuff for the for the league, you know keeping it going at the end of last year and getting the playoffs all done. Yeah, you want you want to go up AFC Fold in the north. Would love to get back into the conference and you know they, it's, it's been hard how they do it. I, I couldn't give you an opinion on on, on that. You know the, the, the so-called mini league and competition. Um, I think it'll be tough. I think it'll be tough, but I think there's other teams in that in that division that would say, "Yeah, we want to play." And um, you know, you just you just hope they get their their, their little bit of reckoning. But um, it'll be tough. I don't know how they'll do it. And I, is it fair? I don't know. But um, you know, someone like Dawkins who've who've contributed quite a bit for the Conference South, 
you know, they deserve their chance. Neil, uh, my question is just following on from uh, one of Dickies, really. Now, do all players, are all players looking forward for the, to the return of fans? Because I guess that some players probably like playing without that uh, extra pressure sometimes that, that, that fans do bring on. Now, I know that you can only talk for your own squad and you won't, you're not going to name names or anything like that. I don't expect you to, but... Um, do you think all players are looking forward to fans being back? Um, as, a, as I said earlier, I think there's certain players that thrive on the support, you know, probably normally your attackers and stuff like that. And some people are a lot stronger minded that if they make a mistake and the crowd get on their back, they can just brush it off. But I do believe there are probably a couple that do appreciate it not being supporters at the moment. And if they do make a mistake, it's not getting highlighted. You know, we've got the live stream that, that goes out and, um, you know, the commentary on there. And there's a lot of uh, armchair viewers at the moment. And, um, you know, so but it's not on them. It's not an instant, um, what would you say, you know, celebration or criticism on them. So, yeah, I think there are probably a couple of players that are enjoying the moment with no no play, uh, supporters around them, just in case they make a mistake. There's always a lot of armchair uh, managers out there as well, Neil, isn't there? <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. That, that's the that's that's why everyone loves football. They've all got their opinion, you know. Before the game, they'll probably pick the same side as you. By the end of the game, they wish you know you shouldn't have picked him. <laughs> it, it goes with the territory, and you know. But you, you wouldn't have it any other way, you know. Everybody wants their opinion. Everybody loves a player more than might you might, and, and and why isn't he not playing? But you see the players every day during the week. You know their mindset. You know where they are injury wise, and sometimes you have to make that call. But absolutely, you know, I, I, I personally can't wait for the supporters to get back because you know it, that's why you love playing football. You love the atmosphere. You know, you you have to take the rough with the smooth. Obviously, if you win a result, you're the best thing since sliced bread. If you, if you lose, everyone wants thinks they they know someone better. But you know, as soon as they come back, you know we're going to embrace them. Is the worst, the single worst moment, Neil, without the fans there? Is it like just after full time on days like yesterday? Do you miss that going over to your section of the fans and pumping the old fist and yeah, going, come on, go and have your, go and have your Chinese takeaway and a couple of beers and enjoy that one? Hundred <laughs> percent. You know, we have we have a good band of supporters that travel to every game, and and they would have loved yesterday, as, as you say, a bogey side, haven't won in ten years or or ten games with them. Um, they would have they would have embraced that and you know going home they'd have had a couple of beers whether it was in the car or on the coach on the train um, and really enjoying themselves and, and and that's what you miss you know they, 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 we have got a great band of supporters that do travel up and down the country and you know them by name um, and you know yesterday they would have enjoyed having that little glass of uh, beer sitting at home and uh, waiting to come back really and one final point from me, uh, uh, Neil, I just remembered this, actually. One of my favourite grounds to go to, I love to get there early to Hayes Lane uh, and get in the old, what I call the old sports bar at the back um, which, uh, and, and, and do me final preparation with, with, with a bite and a, and, and a bit to drink. I was going to say, I'll have a couple of beers, hopefully, Rob. Yeah. <laughs> well, not a couple of beers while I'm commentating, but... Um, but Neil, I've heard and just lay this myth to rest or, or, or otherwise that, that you don't actually have an office at Bromley, a manager's office, and that you do a lot of your preparation in there as well. <laughs> Believe me, honestly, I'll be sitting in the bar upstairs in the in the venue and at one o'clock I'll be just doing the team talk or, or having a chat with my other coaches, putting out the team, this is what we're going to do, da, 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 da. and no word of a lie, a support will come up to you and go, do you want a pint? <laughs> 
Egola, save that one for after the game, hopefully. But yeah, no, you do you do do it in there. It is what it is. Love every minute of it, and um, you know, hopefully, there are plans for this club to change and and, and evolve and, and just get bigger and better. And uh, who knows, maybe a room even in there that I can sit in and, and do my team talk. Even even getting changed, we used to get changed in the um, ladies' referees room. All five of us, you know, with one seat in there. So it not is what it is. But, yeah, yeah not, not while she's in there. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's one of them. It is what it is. And that's why you love the club. Because, you know, hopefully it is changing. It is going to get better. It is going to get bigger. And, um, you know, hopefully we're putting ourselves up there to, you know, start competing with all these league sides that are coming down. Should that happen, Neil? And and you know, you rightfully take a you know a lot of pride in in the part that you've played in that with with what you've done with Bromley over the last few years. Yeah, no. As I say, when I first walked through the door ten years ago, we were fighting relegation in the Conference South. Uh, ten years later, you know, we're getting above two thousand um, supporters. Our academy's growing. We're we're nurturing our own players now. We you know we've got seventeen year olds, sixteen year olds, and eighteen year olds in our first team squad. Um, uh, ben Crowhouse, you know, name one, Liam Vincent, Judith, and, and all these kids are being developed by Bromley Football Club. And that's uh, another thing we want to try and uh, achieve as well in, in, in creating young players playing for their local club. Excellent. Well, Neil, uh, thanks for joining us and best of luck for the rest of the season. Amazing, guys. Honestly, thanks thanks for the invitation. Loved every minute of it and uh, hope you see down at Bromley very, very soon. Almost a full set of fixtures on, uh, on in the National League on Tuesday, the only games that aren't going ahead are uh, obviously Bromley, who are who were supposed to be playing Macclesfield. Of course, we know about them. Eastley against Dover, we know about Dover's situation. But Aldershot were supposed to play Torquay, Rob, weren't they? And Aldershot didn't play on Saturday because unfortunately there's been a COVID outbreak at the club, hasn't there? Yeah, I didn't think Aldershot would remain unbeaten away to Notts County and Torquay, but come Tuesday night, I think we will do. Uh, no, obviously we've got. I those don't know. Games. We might find a way to lose. <laughs> We got those games still to come, and uh, funny enough, I think I was saying to one of you guys uh, off air that um, it's kind of mi- oh, it's Tom yesterday, and uh, it's kind of mixed blessings really because I-, I think I'd always want to go to Meadow Lane, a great place to watch football, and not too far for me as well. But I'm dreading the thought of uh, Torquay if it's uh, rearranged for a Tuesday night. Something I've done twice before, and I never wanted to do for a third time. <laughs> Interesting games as well. Into uh, Woking against Boreham Wood. I mean, Boreham Wood are a bit up and down at the minute. Woking are in decent form. They've obviously got an FA Trophy semi-final to play for. Wheelstone against Kings Lynn. That battle down at the bottom. And of course, Aldrigham against Hartlepool. Can Hartlepool go top now with Torquay not playing? Uh, Sutton play Yeovil at home. Both of those sides. Torquay could be third by the end of Tuesday evening. They could be. I'd fant- I'd put my money on Sutton being top of the league uh, come 10 o'clock on Tuesday night. But uh, who knows? Because, you know, whenever we try to predict results in this league, it's uh, it's a mugs game. You know, we, could, we, we don't do it as a team. I do do it with a good friend. And uh, I can honestly say, all the years I've watched, everything I know about it, I could pick... Uh, 10 results, and I'd be lucky if I got three or four of them right. It's just it's just bizarre. Um, one thing it does make for is some some interesting viewing and, and discussion, doesn't it? Um, and what a great guest, what a great, great, great guest Neil was, someone who knows this league inside out. And you do hope that he gets his day, don't you, with, with Bromley and, uh, and we get to see them in the playoffs, whether it's this season or in the future. Brilliant. Well, that is it. Don't forget to subscribe to us, as I say, on all good podcasting platforms. Uh, Rob, thanks very much. 
Yeah, pleasure. Absolutely loved it today. Cheers, guys. Chris, thank you. Yeah, cheers, guys. And uh, Dickie, thank you as well. No, you're very welcome. Always a pleasure. We'll have a break from each other now for a week. (laughs) (laughs) Until then, thank you very much for listening. Look after yourselves and we'll see you all very soon.